Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast with me, Aaron Stokes, and I'm joined this afternoon by... John Gibson, as we look ahead to the Premier League clash with Chelsea on Saturday, the final one before the World Cup break, which we're all very, very gutted about, given Newcastle's rich vein and form of late. We're blessed, John, really, because we've also got last night's Cup win to talk about as well. Blessed might not be the right word, given the manner of the performance, but nevertheless, Newcastle United are through to the next round of the Carabao Cup, and they'll discover who they get in the fourth round tonight. Before we go on to Chelsea, we'll talk a bit about that cup win. Newcastle making it through the fourth round. They didn't make it easy for themselves. The manner of the performance wasn't too pleasing on the eye. What did you make of the performance in the 90 minutes before penalties? Yeah, I mean, I've had more fun pulling my teeth out with a pair of pliers on the lawn. Um, it wasn't uh, pretty to watch, but uh, we got there in the end and we'll be grateful for that, thanks to Nick Pope, bless him. Um, I just felt... The changes we made, and this is nothing to do with Eddie, because, I mean, no criticism, because he had to make changes. But the guys that hadn't played for a while, you know, you look at Shelby, you look at Maxi, um, you look at Lascelles, you look at Wood, they looked not only off the pace, but the passing accuracy was poor. We passed... We normally pass the ball at pace magnificently during this Premier League runs, especially in October. But last night, we're passing was poor. The accuracy of it was poor. We didn't play at a particular pace. And um, the game always had that feel about it. And I'm quite happy that Crystal Palace aren't coming up here anymore because that's two no, no draws we've had, which has been real fun. <laughs> after all the goals we've been scoring recently. But, um, yeah, we, we got there in the end and we got there because of our keeper. Well, yeah, you've touched on it there. How obviously made eight changes. We did expect quite a few of those fringe players who are sort of desperate for minutes to come back in. The likes of Shelby, Maxi, they'll have been really, really wanting, you know, a chance to give, you know, prove what they can do from the outset after so long on the sidelines. And it sort of felt like there was just, it looked like a team that was very rusty. It looked like a team that hadn't played together in a while. Shelby and Maxi, although in spells they looked good, but they just looked like they needed the minutes and the legs, didn't they, really? Yeah, you, you used the right phrase there, Aaron. It was rusty. They were rusty. There's no question about that. Um, and it showed the accuracy was just not there. And so the sharpness was not there. And we missed and we're going over old ground, Karen Wilson up front, mm-hmm. to, to lead the line with a bit of authority, with his clever movement off the ball, with the pace that he can play at. We didn't get any of those things, and then it filters through the team. And um, Shelby, though, particularly in the first half, if he if he plays any deeper, he'll be standing on Pope's toes. Um, you know, he was playing behind the two centre-halves at one time, uh, in this quarterback role that he played with um, Steve Bruce, 
is no longer required anymore. He can play that step further forward. Yes, he took over the role that Longstaff's been doing recently, which is the sitter and covering all the ground. But, you know, he was sitting so deep, so deep at home that um, we didn't look the side that we can look, that's for certain. And um, I think that's understandable. And I think it just emphasised what we already know, which is that the team is absolutely fine. The squad, not quite so. The squad's still a work in process. The team, when everybody's fit and selected, is more than good enough. But um, thank goodness, you know, when when it was decided who will play and who will not play by Eddie and, you know, Wilson and Shaw weren't involved at all. The rest sat on the bench. Thank goodness he played Pope. Um, he could have easily rested Pope. And when I got the team sheet, I was delighted that Pope was in before he's he walks because, you know, with all respect to, I mean, Dolo has not played for an age. Um, the Liverpool lad has not played at all. And Gillespie's about fifth in a four-man queue. Uh, so, you know, you had to, I wanted to go with Pope for that reassurance. And um, three penalty saves uh, were stupendous. Uh, the last one was significant because Bruno had done his, I don't know what he was doing, but he, yeah, he no. done his shimmy, his shake, his wobble, and uh, he did Johnny Wilkinson, who used to convert all the England uh all the England tries like that in the old days. It was horrendous. And with that, I thought, we're in trouble. And, and luckily, Pope pulled out yet another save more through. But out of the three saves, the first one was the real save. The first mm -hmm. penalty save when he went to his left, high and palmed it away with one hand. That was fabulous. The other two for a good goalkeeper like him were relatively routine if you go the right way uh, because they were at the right height. But the first one was absolutely excellent. And if Botman and Bruno want to find out how to take penalties, they should look at Wood, Trippier and Joe Linton because they put them away absolutely top class, all three kicks. Yeah. Uh, Botman never looked confident, I felt, on that long walk. And I think Bruno, bless him, and I love him to death, thinks he can walk on water with the punters <laughs> and what he does. And I, I'm, I'm not certain he was going to do a double somersault and flick it in with the, the back of his heel sort of business. Um, and it all... And he was furious with himself, wasn't he? I watched yeah, him on the walk around at the end where they applaud the crowd. And while he applauded the crowd, because he loves the crowd and the crowd love him, he couldn't get off quick enough. And you could see he had a face like thunder. He was annoyed with himself, not with anybody else, but with himself. And that'll do him good, you know, because I expect him to come out a lot more determined against um, Chelsea because mm -hmm. he want to sign off before the World Cup and prove what a proper player he is. Yeah, I would agree with that. I noticed straight away Bruno looking very dejected and it's such a shame because it really is the first thing he's ever done wrong for this football club. Oh, totally. Nine months. And I thought Eddie Howe was very, very good in his post-match. Pref Coverance saying that, you know, we'll pick him up. He's got nothing to worry about. And of course, you know, that they did go through thanks to Pope's heroics. And it's sort that's, of saying that's a big that's a big difference, Aaron. If they'd yeah. gone out as a result of him yeah. missing the penalty, it would have been tougher to take. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean he owes Pope a pint. There's no question about that. But well, um, you know what it is? He, Bruno went on Twitter after the game and he did a very long series of tweets where it, 
if you hadn't have watched the game, you would have probably assumed Newcastle had went out because of his penalty miss. It was very much, I apologise to the teammates and Newcastle did that uh, dressing room photo that they always do when they win a game and you zoom in on Bruno's face and he looks like he just wants to be anywhere else. He just, <laughs> you, you could tell he was really, really eating himself up um, about that miss and the less said about that run-up, I think, for the better, really. Um, so if you we'll, haven't seen we'll that, excuse him that the way he's played this season. Look, I think, as I said, he's he's had nine, ten months at this football club and he hasn't stepped out of line once. So I think he is due one and, and we all still love him for it. You've touched there, Nick Pope, fantastic saves in the shootout. That first save was absolutely fantastic. And for me, the back four and the back five have had a lot of praise recently. Um, Trippier and Byrne and Cher and Botman have been fantastic. But it feels like Pope hasn't had that praise because he hasn't really had much to do. So for me personally, I think it's good to see him actually have his moment in the spotlight. Yeah, um, and I hope Southgate saw that because if there's a penalty shootout, for England during the World Cup. A, put Pope in goal, and B, put Wilson centre-forward because Wilson can score and I mean, he can keep them out. Yeah. I, I mean, my good mate, is, as you probably know, having a supermarket, and I was sitting with him at the match last night, and he is a great believer in the fact that he thinks Pope is a better goalkeeper than Pickford. Mm -hmm. And he believes that he's not England's number one because our back four is so good Pope doesn't have enough to do, and Everton's isn't, so Pickford has a lot to do um, in terms of tumbling saves, etc. And we were just pleased for Nick Pope last night because um, he unquestionably got us through. And it's nice to see him, as you say, he's had so little to do and he's had so many uh, lack of headlines, if you like, and he had that poor England game at Wembley, if you remember, mm -hmm. not so long ago. So this redressed uh, a lot of the balance and he has been a big upgrade on what we've had between the posts. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was nice for him to get his moment in the sun. I think there's absolutely no question, but he's always been a good shot stopper. He's always been a good collector of crosses. If there's out, he's going to be criticised for in these ultra days. It's that uh, his kicking is not so clever. He's not, you know... He doesn't ping him like Shelby. Um, mm. And, of course, that's a new thing with the goalkeeper. If you talk to the old Newcastle goalkeepers who won the Cup in the 50s about kicking the ball out like a, a, a midfield player, they would have looked at you as if you were mad. But, <laughs> nah, but then full-backs, you never got over the halfway line. They simply defended. Ask Van Clark. But times change now, isn't it? You, you've got to have a ball-playing goalkeeper now, for goodness sake. How changed is that? But... Yeah, it's trendy was, these days, isn't it? It's all arranged. It's crazy, isn't it? You, you never had full-backs that went over the halfway line because they were supposed to defend. And goalkeepers passing the ball out like midfield players we've never heard of. You just put your laces through it and got it as far downfield as it was possible to get. But, uh, I mean, without picking any holes in the team at all, Aaron, last night, because we have been grateful, A, for what we've seen recently because it's been quite mind-blowing especially since the beginning of october and bottom line we got through last night but i mean i did mention it to supermarket just before we kicked off after we got the team sheet and i think it proved it for me you take callum wilson and almirin out of the starting lineup and the question you ask is where the goals are going to come from and last night 
that answer was that they ain't going to come. Um, and, you know, all right, goalkeepers are the lifebloods of side and they make a side and it's very important that you have finishes. But we tend to forget because also those two open the door for others. Other people score because they, they're creating space because they're so dangerous and they drag defenders around. Um, but we need those two. We need all the blue chip players out. When, if they're all out, and I expect them to be all out on the grass on Saturday, then we're fine. If they're not, then there's a little bit of a question mark. And that's natural because this is a work in process and the, the building of the squad is definitely uh, progressing. I mean, there's only about Manchester City that have a squad that mm. they can change the whole team and it doesn't look any different. They're yeah. playing exactly the same way. They've got the velvet touch. Um, everybody knows everybody else's job. They've got two teams. Everybody else has got one and a half teams or one team. Um, the rest of us in the real world uh, and Man City are in their world. But um, yeah, they, they, we need improvements in the squad as much as in the team. Yeah, I think that was evident last night with Manchester City's team that they put out at Chelsea. It was a second-string team, but really it was a, a side that would do pretty well in the Premier League if it was given the chance. And I think e equally, did... equally, Aaron, sorry to put in, mate, equally on the same thing, there's Arsenal, top of the league, and you know, they go out at home to Brighton, having won every game at Arsenal for youngs, and Arteta says, our squad's not strong enough. They're top of the mm -hmm. league in their squad, their squad, not the team isn't strong enough and he wants something done in January. Now, if they're saying that and we are only a year into our project, it's natural that we are going to suffer from that, isn't it? Yeah, it shows that there is sort of a way to go, doesn't it, to bridge that gap. I thought the, the the subs coming off the bench give the crowd a huge lift, the team a huge lift, Trippier, Almiron, Bruno, really trying to get things going, going forwards, um, although it wasn't to be in normal time. One one more question on, on the cup um, before we move on to Chelsea, and that is... As we've touched on, some big teams have went out. Chelsea knocked out last night. Arsenal, um, Brentford, Everton and Tottenham also from the Premier League not making it at the next round. Of course, you've still got Liverpool and City and other big clubs, but Newcastle, Touchwood, depending on their draw later this evening, have suddenly got quite a big opportunity to go quite far in this competition, don't they? Oh, There's absolutely no question. And from my point of view, I want to do that. We have... This competition has been on for 61 years and we've never won it. And um, this is probably one of the best chances. We've only been to one final. That was 1976. And it has the glam. Believe you me, people will say, oh, what's the League Cup now? It's two bob, etc., etc." You get to Wembley for a showpiece final with Newcastle's fans there and win it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we'll show you what the League Cup means because mm -hmm. they'll parade it around the city and the town. It'll go absolutely bananas, not only after the game, but on the week building up to the game. It is very important and we've got a real chance in it. These are the sides have gone out. 
pray God if you're looking down on us and I'm allowed to have one little prayer to you, just don't give us Manchester City. I'll take anybody else in the draw. And that includes Liverpool because Liverpool this season aren't Liverpool of last season or the season before. I'll take anybody, but I don't want Manchester City. Thank you very much. Leave yeah. them leave them to one side and I'll take whoever we'll get. Yeah, amen to that. I think we can all get behind that. One more question, and John, I, I think given your answer, I already know the, your answer to this question, but we're running a poll on the Chronicle website at the minute, and that is we're asking fans, if you've got the choice this season between qualifying <laughs> for the Champions League, so finishing in the top four or winning the Carabao Cup, which one are you taking? Now, my answer is pretty you know, unanimous, and I'm guessing yours would be as well. And I think quite a lot of fans are going to be taking a cup win over top four, aren't they? Yeah, funny enough, I was working last night in Pumphrey's. I do every home game, talking to the fans. And one of the first questions I was asked by fans last night before the game was exactly that question. Gibbo... What do you, which would you take this season, the Champions League or trophy? And I said, Shy Ben's getting out. I want both. You can't actually qualify for the Champions League and win the League Cup. Nobody says you can't. And Shy Ben's getting out, you know. And we've been Shy Ben's since 1969. So I'm a glutton about that. But also, I'm old fashioned. I mean, I think a lot of young fans would say, let's do the top four because we've got the glory of playing in the Champions League and um, it's more money in the pot. And I know we've got Saudi owners, but it's not about their wealth. It's about how much money Newcastle create themselves for the fair play. So it does help that. But I look back and I mean, I can reel off the, the three dates and it's absolutely ludicrous, but it's because I'm an old so-and-so and I've been around long enough. Though not this first one. 1927 since we won the league. 1955 since we won a domestic trophy. And 1969 since we won any trophy. I would like a trophy after all mm. that time, you know. I mean, we played in the Champions League with Kevin Keegan. We played in the Champions League with Bobby Robson. But both those managers historically won nothing for Newcastle United. Great managers, though, they were. Great success that they created. We finished runners-up in the Premier League under KK and third in the Premier League under Bobby Robson. But we won now. Let's get that monkey off our back by winning the League Cup or the FA Cup this season. And it is a trophy. It's silverware. We stopped getting all... I mean... The fact that we haven't hands over us the same as every time the third round draw of the FA Cup's made, we see Ronnie Radford, bless him, hitting that one from the halfway line. I'm sick to death of saying it. Can we put them all to bed by winning something? And so I'm desperate to win something. But winning something doesn't mean we don't qualify for one of the European competitions this season because this is our best season, Alan. This mm -hmm. is a season when we're not in Europe. Yeah. So we're having the extra games at all the it's big huge advantage, up. isn't it? Having having that, oh. that so why can't we win in the second half of the season? Why can't we win the league cup and finish fourth or, or fifth or sixth? Certainly. And um, why can't we do that? Because this is the best opportunity to do that. Next season, when we try to win the FA Cup, the League Cup, we'll also be playing in Europe, etc. etc. Will we have a big enough squad to handle that? Well, it'll have to be a better squad than last night's squad to handle that. Um, and it will be a better squad than last night's squad. But let's win something. Let us win something. Yeah, 
But that doesn't mean I don't want you. If I do, I'm greedy. I told you, shy Ben's getting out. I learned that when I was a little lad. Well, as I've, as I mentioned, we've got this poll run on the website. I think we might have to add a shy Ben's getting out option, a third option of the poll for you. <laughs> if you want both. Um, look, we'll move on to the, uh, the Premier League then. Chelsea this weekend, um, the final league game before the World Cup starts later this month. Chelsea struggling a bit for form. They've obviously sacked Thomas Tuchel earlier in the season, brought in Graham Potter, which some people raised their eyebrows about, you know, given, you know, a sort of lack of experience managing big clubs. They're without four wins. Sorry, they're without a win in four in the league. They've been doing okay in the Champions League. You get the feeling that Newcastle might actually be going into this game clear favourites, which sounds baffling, really, when you think where we were a year ago. Oh, absolutely crazy, but, you, but you're right. I mean, we've got to revert to the tried and trusted. I'm talking about player selection. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the tried and trusted. And if we do that, normal service can be resumed. There's no question about that. I mean, the hiccup, and it was a hiccup last night, even though we got through, the performance was a hiccup. The hiccup was purely because the load was spread. And we will not do that. We'll go back to providing the whole fit. We'll go back to Wilson and Armouron and Bachman and Bruno and Joe Linton all being in the starting uh, 11. I'm I'm certain of that. Um, And Shaw. Uh, we'll, we'll do that. And if we do that, then Chelsea have to worry about us rather than the other way around. Let us not underestimate Chelsea. It has gone poorly for them. Potter, a genius at Brighton, now in London, asking open questions. Is this a bridge? You know, is this a step too far from me? Mm-hmm. Gone from where he's gone, Swansea and, and, and uh, Brighton, and before that all sorts of weird and wonderful jobs. He's gone from that to, to this. Um, is it too big for him? That's always going to happen. That's because he's gone to a big, big club. But they have some world-class players. And if we showboat, and we won't, because anyhow, I won't let we showboat. But if we did showboat, if the crowd did expect you just roll up at half past five and an hour and a half later or two hours later, we won. It won't be like that because they've got players that can shock you. But they are beatable. And if we are going to finish in the top four or even in the top six, then you must beat sides like Chelsea. Because you've got to beat what the big sides along. You can't get into the top four by beating everybody outside of the big six, if you know what I mean. The clubs that are called the big six. You've got to beat some of those. Now, we've already done that because we've gone to Spurs and won. We, we've all we've drawn with Man City, Man United. Uh, we lost at Liverpool in the 98th minute. Uh, games used to last 90 minutes. Uh, so, yes, we can mix it with the big boys. But you've got to beat Chelsea at home. If you're going to be top four, you beat Chelsea at home. It's a huge sort of test, isn't it, to see you know, how far Newcastle really have come. Because Absolutely. Touched on, they've taken some you know brilliant scalps already this season, taking points off some of the big teams. And... You just hope that they go into this game. They can one more game to go. A couple of players will have their eyes on the World Cup, I'm sure. But just one last push to get them over the line, so that they're really, I mean, third in the table heading into the World Cup. What what a sight that would be! Oh, oh, we've it's already what it's all about, Aaron. It would be a great shame for the owners, for Eddie Howe, and for all the playing staff if 
on the last game before a six-week break or whatever it is, were flopped because they don't deserve that. They've done so well, one more effort in going to the break on a feel-good factor. You don't want to go into the break, have them played a bit iffy against Crystal Palace and then lost at home to Chelsea because the momentum, it's like taking a balloon at, a, at a, your little kid's birthday party and putting a pin in it, isn't it? You don't want the six weeks of, oh dear, is this reality come back or yeah. is this just a blip? What will happen when we start up again at Boxing Day, etc., etc.? You don't want that. And they don't deserve that. And it's interesting that they've got a tough one, Chelsea, tougher than a lot, um, as the last game before the break. And, the, you know, the hold on to that third position, which if they have a, a decent win, they, they would do, would, it would be um, would be fantastic. Um, but, yes, let, let's not lose first, but let's win. <laughs> Sounds like quite a good plan. I think any anybody get on board with that. Would probably expect if, if we're gonna guess the team right now for how to probably revert back to Southampton um and sort of bring those players back in that started in the league last time. Do you think that's a good decision? Or do you think is there anyone last night that stood out and said maybe they could maybe change it or absolutely no one. Absolutely no one. I wouldn't I mean, any chance Shelby or, or uh, Maxi had a start and went out the window over 90 minutes last night. For me, it's a harsh old world, is football. And it's great to have them is back up on the bench and they could come on and change the game. But they didn't come on and say, play me. The only change I would make from uh, the win at Southampton would be to bring Joe Linton back because he was banned for that game and he, he, he can play again. I would bring Joe Linton back in, but you would have... You would have Wilson in, you'd have Almiron in, you would have Botman and Shaw as your two centre-backs and you would move Byrne to left-back. Um, you would have Bruno in midfield and it's just whether you play Joe Linton in midfield and drop either Willock or Longstaff or play him on the left wing, which is what he did the last time. And you might decide to play him on the left wing because, um, you know, Maxi didn't do enough to start, Fraser's been injured... Um, and while Longstaff wasn't great last night, um, he has been great as the anchor man in that midfield, doing the dirty work, if you like. So you would fancy him. Willock scored, so you want to play Willock again. Bruno's a must, so you could play uh, Joe Linton on the left-hand side. But that's the only change I would make, is to bring Joe Linton back and revert back to your tried and trusted big hitters. Nobody last night did enough, in my humble opinion, to say, right, forget everybody else, I start. Uh, no. No, I think I would agree with you on that sense. And I think for how it was just an exercise and getting the minutes in the legs, and I don't yeah. think there's anybody that's going to be really knocking on that door in the last um, couple of days before that Chelsea game. I think Joe Linton back in down the left is probably what we'll see, given how yeah. Willock and Longstaff have performed in the middle as of late. Just a, one more question on Chelsea, and that is, over the summer, when Newcastle were sort of desperately trying to get a couple of players over the line before the last couple of days of the window, they were linked with a lot of Chelsea players. Now, Christian Pulisic and Armando Broja are two that were linked and haven't really set the world alight at Chelsea. Conor Gallagher is maybe one who's getting a bit of game time. There's also talk this morning that he might be a late shout for Gareth Southgate's England squad. Now that we've got the you know the benefit of hindsight, 
Newcastle have had a very, very strong start of the season. They wanted an attacking player over the line before the end of the window and they didn't get it. But Almiron essentially has been that £60 million oh. signing, hasn't he? Do you Absolutely. think that any sort of regret from how that he didn't strengthen, even if it's just get another one in for depth? Or do you think the way the, the season's gone, you can't really complain with what they did over the summer? No, you, you can't complain on what we've had. Anything but it, it would be dreadful to complain. At one time, you know, before this season opened, just before it opened, Newcastle were looking for a right winger. Almiron scored eight goals. He's, he's nine goals, whatever it is. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, they were looking for a right winger. And Almiron, pre-season, starts scoring goals, thought, whoops-a-daisy, let's just go here. And he's been a house on fire. Um no, there's not a particular uh, Chelsea player I wish we had. I wish we had Madison in January. And I, w- I wish we had a centre-forward in January. Um, but, but that would do me. That would do me. Because remember that in January, we have a £60 million player who's just a new signing because he's only played three times easier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've forgotten to a certain extent that he's gone under the radar, bless him. When yeah, I'm sick of this signing, would drive, with the, this phrase that drives me crackers, he will buy like a new signing. A bloke is coming back from an injury and he's played about 200 games for you, he'll be like a new signing. No, he won't. We know exactly what we'll get. Uh, but this guy will because he is a new signing, uh, Isaac. So, if we look at how well the the club has done and the team has done over since October or since the start of the season, you're going to add Isaac to that immediately. So if we got um, Madison, and unfortunately he's done so well for Leicester, everybody's interested now. We were the ones that were pushing to get him in the summer. Everybody's mm-hmm. jumping on that bandwagon now. But if we could get him and we could get a centre forward, um, because as I've said on this Sure, anyway, Isaac's now a centre forward for me in the traditional sense of a centre forward, but he's already good forward, just take the word centre out of it. And so, if we could get a centre forward in, say, Madison, I would settle for that. Um, because the real the real signings by choice always happen in the summer, they happened last January because they had to, otherwise, we're relegated, but they normally happen in the summer. And that's the difficulty. Buying a centre-forward in January is very difficult because clubs don't want to let somebody go when they've got a match the next week and a match the week after, etc., etc. They're more tempted in the summer when they've got time to buy replacements. Um, but no, uh, I think we've shot exceptionally well. Any, any squad can be improved. We saw last night that Newcastle's squad does need improvement. Uh, we need a centre forward because Callum was out last night, rested, I think, and came off at half time in the other game, ill, not injured. But yet again, a little period without Callum. We know that's going to happen regularly, and we need cover there because, with utmost respect to Chris Wood, who took a magnificent penalty, and he's terrific on penalties, his lack of movement. His lack of movement upstairs. I mean, the milk bottle on my front steps moved more in the high wind. I mean, uh, he's, he's just got no movement whatsoever. He's got the, the touch of a camel. And basically, uh, bless him, bring him on for penalties, bring Pope on for penalties, England. 
Um, but he is just, he's honest. But that's a word I hate. And, you know, when I used to run gates and my manager come and want to sign somebody, I'd say, well, tell us about his attributes. And if he's, the first word he said, well, he's honest. I said, well, we don't want him. If that's his biggest asset, he ought to be honest. If that's his biggest asset, I don't want him because he's got to have a little bit more than that. Um, so, yes, let's let's get it through the middle striker. Yeah, I think that the, the, there is certainly room for improvement in that squad. And I think the next two transfer windows, both January and summer, will definitely see a couple of additions. Whether they're first team or not remains to be seen. One last question before I let you go, Gibbo. And we had Matthew Ray's back on the podcast this week from BBC Radio Newcastle. And he was very, yeah. very confident heading in at the Chelsea game. He went for a 3-1 win. I know you don't like giving score predictions, but what are you, what are you going for this weekend? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I'm looking for Newcastle to win. Uh, I don't normally like score predictions because they're in the wind, don't they? Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody scores in the first two minutes, they're going to run up. How many people would have got the score predictions right recently for Newcastle? You know, Ford, Southampton, four, it, it, uh, Fulham, four against Aston Villa, five against Brentford. How many were saying that? Um, I'll, I think Newcastle will win. I think they'll go back to what we've had. Uh but I think it'll be tighter than 3-1. You, you asked Matthew probably before last night's game. Oh, yeah. uh, 3-1. Uh, I'll take 2-1 and be more than happy with 2-1. But uh, it's all about the victory, isn't it? Uh, and um, yeah, I think 2-1 is realistic. Please. I think it is realistic. And, and as you say, ending that season, that, that first half of the season on a high before the World Cup is really the, the aim. Gibbo, thank you again as ever and thank you to all you who are listening at home. We've got more podcasts to come before the Chelsea game. We've got the view from the opposition with one of the London writers this weekend. We'll also have Lee Ryder's instant reaction after the game and everybody will be delighted to know that Andrew Musgrove is back next week. <laughs> so he will be joining me on the Monday show and he'll be back with Gibbo next week. So you can look forward to that. Thank you again, Gibbo, for joining us and thank you for listening at home and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Delighted.